The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Dave Jorgensen, senior video producer and TikTok guy here at The Post. Today, we're talking about the new Amazon Prime series, The Terminal List. In full disclosure, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos separately owns The Washington Post. But let's talk about The Terminal List. It is a story of the Navy SEAL Brotherhood, unlikely enemies, and mind-bending conspiracies. Above all, this is a story of revenge. And I have to tell you, it's not at all what I expected, and I mean that in the best way possible. Here to talk about the psychological thriller series are actor Chris Pratt and author Jack Carr. Chris and Jack, thank you so much for joining us today at Washington Post Live. Hi, Dave. How are you? Thank you for having us. Yeah, I, I, I'm it's doing awesome. great. Your your backgrounds are, are much better than mine. I'm I'm working with a, just a pretty boring Airbnb, but uh, you know I'll do my best to try to match you guys. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, Chris, I want to get to you first here. Uh, you play Navy SEAL Lieutenant Commander James Reese. You've played a Navy SEAL before in films like Zero Dark Thirty, another movie I, I liked quite a bit. But this role to me is is quite different, despite being a Navy SEAL. What drew you to this role specifically? Well, I, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I did play a Navy SEAL in Zero Dark Thirty. It was actually in the process of of researching that role that I met uh, our co-producer, Jared Shaw, who uh, is a Navy SEAL, and um, I shadowed him to prepare for that role. He became one of my best friends. He was in my wedding, and um, we were actually roommates at the time, and he got a copy of Jack's manuscript, they sort of knew of each other uh, through the teams, and um, I read I read the book and immediately was intrigued. What drew me to the role was um, uh, I knew that it would be different. I knew that it would be an opportunity to to play uh, a seal again, and I obviously have a real affinity for the community of our special operators, our men and women in uniform, and especially these guys that uh, you know are the tip of the spear. And um, I wanted, I, I loved the voice. I love Jack as an author. I think he's got a very authentic and, and compelling uh, pro, like the way that he writes, it's, it's the point of view is so authentic because he's a former SEAL himself. And I just loved that this character, Reese, really encompasses everything that I've grown to love about the SEAL community. And I wanted to put that on screen. It's dark. And that was an opportunity to, to be to do something different and surprise people and and uh yeah that's why i wanted to do it i love it and to be clear it's uh to me it's different not because of the navy seal aspect but just the story around it uh and uh the way all the the, the actual thriller of it is woven in we're going to get to that but jack of course as chris mentioned you wrote the book the terminal list and you also were an executive producer on the series what inspired you to write this story in the first place well i wanted to write books ever since I was a little kid. I knew I was going to serve my country in uniform first, and then I was going to write the kind of books that I would love to read growing up. So I was reading Tom Clancy and David Morrell and Nelson DeMille and A.J. Quinnell and J.C. Pollock and Mark Olden and all these guys in the 80s and early 90s whose protagonists typically had backgrounds in Vietnam as Marine snipers, as Army Special Forces guys, as CIA paramilitary operators, and 
as Navy SEALs. So I knew that after my time in the military, it would be time to write. And all that reading really gave me a foundation. And I didn't look at it that way at the time. I was just enjoying them as a reader. But really, they were, t they were my early professors in the art of storytelling. So as I started to get out of the military during my last year in, I started writing this story. And as I started writing, there was only one person that I envisioned bringing James Reese to life, and that is Chris Pratt, no one else, and Antoine Fuqua as the director. So uh, before Chris even knew who I was, I'd already chosen him for this role. I picked <laughs> Antoine and I picked my uh, my publisher at Simon & Schuster, uh, even though no one knew who I was. And to have all of this team combine to build this into what we did today with the revenge thriller, with the psychological thriller aspect on top of that, and a conspiracy thriller filmed like a movie over an eight hour period. Uh, as an author, I could not ask for more. And uh, I'll never be able to thank Chris enough for taking on this project and bringing this character to life. And I'll, I'll thank Chris as a viewer, because it was really great. And uh, Chris, I, I want to talk more about the performance, but Jack, um, you just mentioned it. In fact, you touched on <laughs> so many things I want to talk about, but I'm going to take them one by one. Uh, you, uh, thank you for your service, first of all. And how did your personal experience inform the script? Well, I didn't really think about, um, as I sat down to write, I thought I'll get the technical aspects of this. I'm gonna tell a great story. Uh, I never questioned that. But as soon as I started to type, I realized how much of a personal and emotional writing experience this was gonna be. And that's not because I'm taking an exact event from overseas and just type writing about it in a novel. No, I'm thinking about the emotions and the feelings behind what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan in certain events, and I'm applying them to a fictional narrative. So if my character, if James Reese, gets ambushed on the streets of Los Angeles, uh, well, I get to think back to what it was like in Baghdad in 2006 to actually get ambushed over there. And I take those feelings and emotions and I apply them to a completely fictional narrative. So I call it fiction with whispers of truth. And I think that's really what made it stand out to Simon & Schuster, to readers. Um, and I continue that with all the, all the novels. And it's become a very uh, therapeutic writing experience as well, because I get to explore these feelings and emotions through the medium of a fictional thriller. I, I think that's the best form of fiction, and, and you mentioned all the great writers uh, that you've, your professors, rather, I think they all do the same thing, which is really just taking uh, a lot of truth and then using it, incorporating that into a fictional storyline. So uh, I can definitely see how that came through. Chris, it sounds like um, Jack already chose you, but I want to hear about how you and director Antoine Fuqua brought this project to the big screen. Um, well, you know, <laughs> I... I... I had started a production company and I knew that I was sort of entering this season of my life where I was going to start to really take control of the things that I would star in. And I think for a long time, I was really at the mercy of uh, other people's casting decisions. You know, I would audition for something. If they said yes, I would do it. And uh, I auditioned for everything. And by the grace of God, uh, some pretty awesome projects said yes and allowed me to sort of hitch my wagon to their star, whether it be Marvel projects or Jurassic World or, you know, Parks and Rec or these various things that I've done before. But that that uh, sort of allowed me to occupy this pretty rarefied space, which is now I'm in charge of the things that I want to do. So what what is that going to be? What do I want to do? And um, I knew I wanted to shoot something in between a break between Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy. So primarily, and, and this is a sort of practical 
uh, reason, but I wanted to shoot something in Southern California because that's where I live. And I was looking for stories that could be told in California and actually in California, not like Atlanta for California or so, you know, uh, <laughs> London for California. And so uh, I, it happened that this book was based in San Diego, Coronado, the area where these uh, the West Coast SEALs train, as well as some stuff overseas. And uh, so that was like, okay, that's the first box checked. Uh, and now I just love this story. I love this community. So I, I went after it. I thought the story was really compelling. I wanted to partner up with my with my partner Jared on this and 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 do it together, and um, so I reached out about getting the rights, and I found out I was in a bidding war against somebody, which I was like, that stands to reason. It's a great property, and then I found out the person I like did some research and found out the grapevine the person was Antoine Fuqua, and I was like, oh damn, well I've got a relationship with Antoine. He directed the Magnificent Seven with with uh, Denzel and me and Ethan Hawke and Vince D'Onofrio. And so I reached out to Antoine. I said, hey, man, the terminal list. He goes, oh, man, that's that, that's hot. That, that's hot. That, that book's hot. <laughs> that's I was so like, hot right it is. Now. I said, I think I think we're bidding against each other. He's like, oh, oh, you want that, too? I was like, yeah. What should we? I said, I don't think we should, like, run up the price against each other. I said, how <laughs> about this? Fine. That would have been fine. Yeah, I should. I'm sorry. I should, now, knowing now, that's what I would have done. But I said, you know, how about this? I'll get the rights and then we'll partner up and do it. And he said, whatever you want to do, that's what we'll do. And so I got the rights and then um, we started to develop it and shopped it around and, and immediately Antoine and I partnered on it and, you know, discussed the various iterations, whether it should be a film or whether it should be brought to a, uh, to streaming and, and in, in a long form format, which absolutely was the right call. And we shopped it around, there was a bidding war and ultimately went with Prime Video and the folks at Amazon. They came with full support, total belief. And we found Dave DiGilio, our showrunner, and uh, he had a, a take on it that would sort of, you know, you know, uh, take it from more of a political thriller and and sort of make it a, a, a psychological thriller that I think is probably mm -hmm. better for the medium of screen because you don't have the the wonderful Jack Carr being able to tell the reader what James Reese is thinking or what James Reese has been through or those whispers of truths of thoughts and emotions he was talking about. Uh, it's hard to be so authentic with that when it's just a performance. So in order to kind of create that, we thought it's best to show that through the psychological thriller and parse out some of the conspiracy. So it was a, a slight elevation. Anyways, I'm, I'm rambling. That's how I got I the book and that's how we created the story. You, you both are landing on all kinds of things I want to talk about, so it's great. It sounds like basically you all came to the Terminal List crafts table and everybody won, so congrats on that. Um, <laughs> and, and Jack, I, <laughs> part of this, uh, you know, this, this bidding war, all this happened, the book came out 2018, it was a bestseller, and a couple years later, it's a TV show. So this all happened quite quickly. Was that your intention all along? I mean, you, you picked Chris, so you seemed, was it like now a TV show, let's do it? That was 100% my intention from uh, my earliest days was to write something that would hit the New York Times list, uh, have uh, an A-list actor would, of course, option it, and uh, the best director out there would, of course, direct it. Um, that was always my my intention. And uh, a lot of times, though, in Hollywood, um, they like to get rid of the author 
right away because they don't want the author on set saying, you ruined my vision, and it just becomes a thing. So usually the author to the side. Um, because it was Chris, because it was Antoine, they wanted me involved from the get-go. So they introduced me to David DiGilio as soon as he came on board as showrunner. We had a great conversation in December of 2019, and we've talked uh, pretty much every day since to include this morning. And uh, and we really formed this team that reminded me of what it was like to be back in the SEAL teams. Uh, and it was all based on trust because uh, trust and battlefield leadership or just leader, leadership in general, uh, trust is that most important attribute uh, up and down the chain of command. And so uh, we had this trust and then we started to build out this cast and crew and writer's room. And uh, that trust really flowed through everything that we did. Um, and that you'll see the results of that on the screen. So uh, once again, I could not be more thrilled. It could not have been in better hands than with Chris and Antoine. And uh, and I'm just, just, I could not be more thrilled. Well, that's perfect. Because speaking of that team, we have a behind the scenes clip that shows their commitment to making the terminal list as realistic as possible. So let's take a look. Antoine Fuqua and I share an appreciation for our SEAL team community. This sort of story means a lot to both of us. We're friends with a lot of military men, so we want to do it justice. Antoine Fuqua demanded that authenticity. Anytime a question would be asked, he'd turn right to one of us. One of the coolest things was actually getting to work with a bunch of real Navy SEALs. As a former operator, being in the SEAL teams, we're doing what we can to try to make it as real as we can. You don't have to teach these guys how to move in these tunnels. It looks real because they're the real deal. Everyone is being collaborative to ensure we got what we're trying to achieve. These guys know when it goes on camera that it's the right way. I hope that it's evident that we care deeply about this community. We really wanted to honor their sacrifice and what they stand for. I wish we could watch more of it, but and that's for later. Uh, Jack, what were some of the, the nuances unique to the SEALs that you and your fellow vets, uh, you talked about the team themselves, share with the actors to capture that authenticity? Excuse me, that authenticity. Well, I can't say it. Authenticity. Yeah, from the very beginning, what was important to Chris and Antoine was that, hey, if a veteran sat down and turned this on and watched it, at the very least, they'd say, you know what, these guys did their homework and they put all this effort and energy into getting this right. Um, you know, of course, it's, you know, there, there's some things that you can't do, like if uh, if Chris runs across the street as Navy SEAL sniper James Reese and it's in the dark and you just show a black screen, well, you know, you're not really telling, you can't see that someone ran across the street. So you have to, you know, move some things here, some lighting so you can actually tell that story so uh you're telling this story visually but what was important to all of us was to have that veteran that spent time in iraq and afghanistan sit down and know that we put in the work and we did not cut any corners uh, so to have jared shaw there on set every day ray mendoza of war office productions uh, max adams former army ranger who's a, a writer and producer on the show uh, to have all those guys there each and every day to make sure this stayed rooted in the foundation not just of the novel but in the modern reality of combat, um, they were a resource that was invaluable. And uh, it, for someone to sit down, watch this thing, uh, and be able to say, ah, these guys got it right, uh, like they did last night when we just showed the uh, the premiere, uh, and we had veterans in the audience that came up and told me that thing, that same thing, that really uh, made it all worth it. Yeah, you know, as someone who uh, haven't experienced it firsthand, but just reading and reading your books and everything, I think uh, you don't even have there's just something authentic it's coming off the screen i don't know how to describe it myself but it just feels there doesn't feel there's nothing fake about it so chris uh i believe there was more than 25 male C navy seal veterans in the cast what was it like working alongside them 
it was a thrill. It was it was it was a real thrill and a real honor. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, obviously, I, 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 the transition that these folks make into the film and television industry is pretty seamless. It's not all that dissimilar. Granted, we don't put our asses on the line in the same way that they that they do, but we 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 move mountains, man. We do a lot of really really complicated things through uh, a dedicated chain of command, a serious effort, you know, an allocation of limited resources. And and having them there, it was amazing because as an actor, I'd be, I, you know, you tend to become a bit of a prima donna. And these are guys who would never really let someone go get them a cup of coffee. You know, when it comes time to move company, they're grabbing chairs, they're grabbing film boxes and they're helping everybody move it. It, it kind of brought me back down to earth. And every time I'm surrounded with these guys, I'm reminded of who I would aspire to be. Someone who's a person, a man of integrity. Uh, someone, if they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. They're not going to leave you hanging. They're not going to show up late. You know, it, it, I love, I loved having them on set. Not to mention, from a practical sense as a producer, we didn't waste any time teaching them how to walk around and carry a gun. <laughs> You know, that's that's some authentic authenticity right there inside those uh, tunnels. You know, it, that that was, in, in fact, a big uh, push by Ray and um, and Jared and Jack when we were casting uh, our our seals in the in the opening ambush that Lieutenant Commander James Reese takes them in an overt mission, a covert mission overseas and he loses his troop. Um, they said, we need to get the right guys in here. And, and we really pushed for that. And, and, and I got to give Amazon credit that they that they signed off to allow us to have upwards of 25, you know, former team guys there. And it was just cool hearing stories and hearing their takes on uh, events that were happening in the world around us at that time. I, honestly, unforgettable. A, a true highlight in my career. I, you said seamless. I think that's exactly right. First day I walked on set there, it was like a reunion. I'm seeing guys I haven't seen since Iraq 2011. And uh, I think the COVID police lost their mind a little bit. We're like, hey, what's up, buddy? And hugs. And it was just amazing <laughs> to see everyone um, and, and get to spend some time together on set as they're making this transition out of the military as well into this next chapter in life. And what also stood out was how similar it was to a military operation. Uh, you had Antoine Fuqua up there as like the commanding officer setting the tone. You had Chris here setting the tactical tone for everybody on set, um, bringing that humor to a lot of dark days, hard, people are putting in so many hours. Um, and then you also had, hey, the mobility person, just like you would in a SEAL platoon, getting the cars in the right places where, where they need to be. You have the armorer, just like in a SEAL platoon, who's taking the weapons back and forth, inventorying those. Um, you have the explosives guy, because as you saw in that first episode, there's explosions. And in the SEAL teams, we have the breacher who specializes in explosives. Um, and you know what? These 350 people on set, you have to feed them. Uh, so you have that military logistics chain in the, and uh, just like we had craft food services on set. So there were so many similarities. But also, I want to say that so many people from Teamsters to hair and makeup uh, to stunt people, they made a point of coming up to me, finding me, tracking me down on set and saying that they have been on hundreds of movie sets uh, during their time in film and television. And they have never been on one that felt like the terminal list. And that is a tribute to Chris and Antoine up there at the top, setting this tone that made it was encouraging to everybody on set and positive to everybody on set and really made it like a family. Sounds like a lot of film studios should hire some, uh, some more veterans to run things. It seems like that's pretty efficient. 
Yeah. Uh, 100%. Uh, I, re I really do. I would yeah. really invite anyone who's maybe transitioning out of the armed services to, to take a look at the film and, and television industry. There's a ton of departments. You don't have to be in front of camera. If you're, if you're like, you know, get stage fright, you don't have to act, but you can. But, you know, there's, you know, my uh, Brian is a former Marine who I, I ended up taking with me on Guardians of the Galaxy. He's my costumer. Uh, you know, the dude is just meticulous. He gets stuff done. It's amazing. I, I, I there is a world, there is a big industry here hungry for you. And we need you. We need you. We need your professionalism. And, and, and I, so please uh, come check us out. Uh, we, I, I, and when I move forward in, in producing things, I'm, I'm going to absolutely put a uh, uh, premium on folks who have served because they do a great, they've always done a really great job. That's great. And Chris, you did a great job in this movie. I certainly you had the Navy SEALs to work alongside with in those scenes, but you know, it, the scenes at home where we, we don't know what's going on with your character's memory. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm only a little bit in, so I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out myself. And uh, it was, it was really amazing to watch and, and very impressive, especially as someone who grew up, you know, watching Andy Dwyer. I see you pick up a guitar, uh, but suddenly I'm like, no, that's not Andy Dwyer. <laughs> this is a very different person. And I think, I, I think you deserve a lot of credit for that uh, and able to becoming this character. So can you tell me a little bit about what is going on with your character's memory and, and just playing them? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, we, you know, we're leaning into the idea of the, of the unreliable narrator. I, we took, um, some of the comps would be like Jacob's Ladder or Memento. There's this psychological thriller aspect. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get too spoilery, but there's something wrong with James Reese's mind. He does suffer a, a pretty severe concussion on the operation that takes his troop from him. And coming home, we find out that his memories of what happened overseas and essentially what we've just seen conflict with the facts in the report and in the audio recordings and so we realize he's an unreliable narrator and because you start to question the perspective in a first person's perspective story you don't know who to believe and the beauty of that is it's set in a psychological thriller is we're talking about men who have a type of hyper-situational awareness that they actually can't even really turn off once they go back into the real world. These former SEALs, they know the face of they know the face and hands of every person of every room they walk into. They know every car that's followed them. They know the doors that they of every entry and every exit, whether the doors open in, whether the doors open out, where the light switches are, which floor they're on, where the nearest exits are, where the nearest balconies are, who in the room could be a threat. These are things that they're constantly thinking about. It's a type of trade craft so that they're situationally aware and should go down, they're capable of making calm decisions. They've already done a lot of the pre-calculated, -pre a lot of the decisions they would have to make to survive. And I've seen it in my friends, Jared and, 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 and Jack and, and Ray and the various members of the teams that I've met. That's really how they operate. And, and they're constantly processing these things at a hyper speed. It's really a special mindset required to, to be able to live in that type of a world. And so with this character, James Reese, coming home, we're wondering, is this tradecraft or is this paranoia? Is this a man who's losing his mind? And does he really have anything to be worried about? Uh, or, or is he embroiled in some far-fetched conspiracy to take out his men and to put his family at risk and his life at risk? And so we get to really dance between those lines and keep you guessing as to whether or not James Reese is 
kind of the perpetrator of the violence that's happening in the series. And so, you know, uh, it was really fun to play. Um, I leaned very heavily on my extraordinary director, Antoine Fuqua. Uh, it was one, you said when I sit down with the guitar and I, I'm, you kind of, you have these expectations of Andy Dwyer with the guitar. It's true because Andy Dwyer is very much an extension of myself. He's like sort of my comedic clown that I developed my entire life and Parks and Rec thankfully allowed me to go just do my thing, my own comedic little jazz solo in the breaks between, you know, between lines for my other killer comedic cast on that show. But this character is probably the most removed from myself that I've ever been on screen. And Antoine helped me to get there because he he has this very subtle, nuanced approach to leaving moments empty. Meaning, mm-hmm. uh, a perfect example would be in, in, in the pilot episode, Katie Birenik, played by Constance Wu, hands me a report, uh, uh, a death report from a scene that I've left. I won't get into the details of that. Uh, <laughs> but in the, in, in, the first, yeah. in the first take, she hands me the report, and I take the report and look at it, and I get some information from it. And Antoine comes up to me and says, and only the way that he can, he says, why'd you take that? Why'd you take that report? I was like, well, she she handed it to me. I just took it. He goes, you don't give a fuck about her. She hands you something. You're gonna you're not gonna take it. And I was like, so she's gonna hand me something. I'm not gonna take it. He goes, don't take it. He's saying this just to me, so she can't hear me. And the next take, she goes, and here's the report. And I just look at her. And there's this That's- pregnant pause, and she doesn't expect it, so she just she rolls with it and just sets it down next to me. And in that moment, I realized the person in Chris Pratt that would never leave a person hanging, who if you're going to hand it to me, I'm going to certainly take it because I wouldn't want you to feel awkward. That's not James. I removed that part of myself, that affability, that, that intention to sort of please the people in the room around me. And, and it's sort of taking the various things away from myself that make me me revealed who was James. And he's not all that different than me, but there's a few things less. And uh, and that and that was the moment that I really helped find the character. Like, wow, this is this guy's different than me. He he doesn't care about it. <laughs> if that woman's gonna feel awkward that she's handing me the reporter's gonna hand me a paper. I'm not taking it. She, me, I'm like, I better take that from you. You might feel awkward. I hope you like me. <laughs> but that's not uh, that's not Reese. He he's a little indifferent to whether or not someone likes him. He's just focused on the mission. Well, and it works. Uh, I mean, I just as you're as you were demonstrating the pause, I wanted to fill the gap myself. <laughs> I, I I feel the same way. So that's when you're watching it, you get that discomfort, which is perfect. And, and let's actually mm-hmm. talk about Constance Wu because she is a journalist on here trying to help uncover the truth. Um, yes, who, she's she's investigating the ambush of the Alpha Platoon. Jack, why was she an important character to include in this book and series? Yeah, well, I needed so James needed help. He needed to rely on certain friends, but he couldn't rely on uh, a lot of SEALs that were still working, that were still training to still go downrange and do a job. Um, and in the story, uh, but he still needs a team. 
He can't do it on his own. He has certain skills and he's very good at, at certain things, but he's also not so good at a couple other things. Maybe the surveillance side of the house. Maybe there's a few other things in there, the research side of the house. Uh, and Katie can do that. Um, and there are a few characters like that uh, that he needs to go through this process. Liz Riley, played by Tyner Rushing, is another one. Um, and he needs these, these characters there um, as kind of his soul um, because he's... Uh, He's going into battle thinking he's already dead, much like the ancient samurai used to do. Uh, and that made them more effective and efficient warriors. And same thing with James Reese. He's going into battle and uh, he's thinking he's already dead because that's going to make him the most effective and efficient warrior possible. Um, but to figure out this conspiracy, he's going to need some help. And that's Katie right there. And she is after the truth. Um, she's not on his side. She's not not on his side. She is after the the truth. And as a viewer, you're questioning what that truth is because of that psychological thriller element that uh, that David Agilio introduced and, uh, as he says, turned up to 11 in this show. So um, so she is a, a, a vital part of this story. And Constance, of course, knocked it out of the park. It's incredible. And uh, and going back really quickly to what, what Chris said earlier about uh, the differences between James Reese and, and him. Um, well, what he brings here also is a humanity to this role. And uh, Chris is one of those people that is inherently likable on and off screen. And you know, he is just a genuinely good person. Um, and that was important to me because if you're going to spend time with someone, whether it's watching a screen or whether it's in the pages of a book, uh, it should be someone that you want to spend time with. Uh, and Chris brought that to the role, brought a humanity to the role that is necessary because maybe as a viewer, you're going to have to maybe forgive him for a couple of things that he, uh, he might do. So, uh, and there was another line in there also about the paranoia side of the house. And someone told me long ago, they said, it's not paranoia if they're really after you. And uh, I put that in the book, I think, as well. But uh, that, that really, uh, that, that also flows through this storyline. Absolutely. And, and I think part of that humanity, too, that you're just talking about, it, it comes through in a lot of scenes, but especially the scenes with the family. I think often the temptation is to show these people who are, of course, have something going on, but to just make them all, you know, it seemed completely flawed. But I think this, those scenes really demonstrate the humanity at the heart uh, of this character, James Reese. And I have one last question for you, Jack. Um, you have multiple books with him. Could there be more TV shows? Would you like to expand the Terminal List into multiple seasons? Yeah, there it goes. I know you have a plan. Oh, I have plans. I have lots of plans. Um, but I'm working on an uh, outline right now that uh, at least gives us a foundation from which to build uh, if Chris and Amazon and uh, decide to go forward into a second season. Um, but uh, there's a lot to explore here. That's for sure. There's five books out now working on book six, and I could not be more thrilled with how this turned out. And if people have read the la latest book, book five, In the Blood, and they watch this series, they will for sure be able to see some of the things that I took from being a part of this project over the last couple of years that directly impacted what I put into that fifth novel uh, and really brought it to life for people. So um, yeah, could not be more thrilled. So hopefully... Hopefully second season, we'll, we shall see. That might be a better question for Chris, though. <laughs> Chris, yes, no, to a second season? Oh, I mean, yes. the, 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 the only thing I'll say is this. There's only one way to do it. And I, I feel like I've learned this from the Navy SEAL community, and that's the right way. So if we are going to do a second season, it has to be done the right way. And... Um, you know, if you, I'm a huge fan of the books. I've read all five books. I love them. In the Blood, who's just come out right now, it's at the top of the bestsellers list. It is 
incredible. I, I feel like it's maybe the best one, but they're all fantastic. Um, if you're going to follow the books, and again, I don't want to get into spoiler alert, you would understand that uh, the second book isn't just something that can be shot in Southern California. And so if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And that's a bit of a, a bit of a bigger undertaking than shooting something that's a season of television close to home here. So for me, I've got a, a dance card that I have to consider, and I have a family that I have to consider. But I promise you, there's really, there's really very little else that I would love to do more than to bring this character to life and continue to bring this character to life. I'm very eager to see how the world reacts. Uh, I think that will probably I'll have to take that into account because I, I have a feeling that that what we did was really special. But in a way, you you never really know, and so. I'm sort of in a, I would love to. There's no one I'd like to work with more than Jack, than the team that we put together. Uh, I love the character. I'm so honored that I'm now on the cover of the Terminalist hard cover and paperback. My face is on the cover of the book and it's for sale in, a, in the stores. I, I love it. I'm, I'm very, very thrilled. It's truly the honor of been, you know, one of the great honors of my career to, to be that guy and to be James Reese. Um, so I'd like to I'd like to say yes, but I'll also like the seals are, you know, if you say you're going to do it, you're going to do it. So I'll say if we can do it the right way, then it, it would be worthy of a second season for sure. All right, fingers crossed. If we had more time, I would have you give a summary of each of the books you've read, but uh, maybe maybe next time. Unfortunately, we are out and we will have to leave it there. The Terminal List will stream on Amazon Prime on July 1st. Chris Pratt, Jack Carr, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you having us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.